It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. October 7th, 2023, the world woke up to the horrifying news that Hamas gunmen had launched an unprecedented attack on Israel, arriving by land, air, and sea, killing more than 1,400 people as we speak right now, and taking more than 220 hostages. The situation that is playing out has been decades in the making, while the history of conflict has been going on for centuries. Needless to say, the images and stories are horrifying. As of this recording, Gaza's Hamas-run health ministry says more than 5,800 people have been killed in the territory since Israel launched retaliatory strikes and the ground offensive is expected soon. Israel has ordered over a million Gazans to evacuate their homes, a directive that the spokesperson for the UN Secretary General called impossible without devastating humanitarian consequences. News organizations across the world have been covering the story wall-to-wall, including Fox News, and some of my colleagues have been working around the clock to deliver the latest breaking information. I know you've all seen my friend Trey Yinkst out there on the battlefield with his team since the overnight hours of October 7th. We've also got Greg Palcott, Steve Harrigan, and Lucas Tomlinson reporting throughout the key regions of Israel to keep you all informed. John Roberts and Trace Gallagher were also on the scene anchoring coverage over the last week. I reached out to my friend Mike Tobin to see if he could spare a few minutes in between his coverage of the war this past week, and he agreed on Tuesday to talk about his experiences there as well as the other reporting he's done over the last few decades from war zones to natural disasters. Mike says this war is different from anything he's ever experienced, and he talks about how it has affected him personally. I'm grateful for his time and his friendship, and I hope you will join us now. Reporting from Southern Israel, here's my buddy, Mike Tobin, on the Janice Dean Podcast. This is being recorded on Tuesday, and a lot can happen between now and the weekend, Mike Tobin. First, I want to ask you how you're doing. I think we're all doing pretty well. we got a good team out here, and um, we are able to get a good night's sleep. We drive all the way back to Tel Aviv to sleep at night, where there is some rocket fire, but it, it, it kind of takes us out of the, the, the bulk of the rocket fire, so there's not as much risk. And uh, we sleep, uh, I don't know, maybe six hours sometimes Mm. and uh, get some breakfast and get right back at it. Okay. No, I'm glad. Listen, I worry about you guys uh, covering this. You're no stranger to covering wars or big storms. So how does this sort of fit in to what you have been doing your whole career? This is unlike other wars. This is uh, it's so savage. Uh, What we saw on October the 7th, um, and frankly, I was on my couch in Chicago and uh, I woke up, turned on the news, and saw what was happening, and knew immediately it was different than other attacks that we've seen out of Gaza. Why? It was it was it was planned more extensively. Um, you, you usually don't see the, them come out of the ground in Gaza, and it was more savage. Mm. This is uh, I haven't seen this kind of brutality uh, before. Um, the things I, I guess I'll spare you the details because they're so horrible, and. Um, and, and maybe that's a mistake uh, because 
you, you can't really cover up the reality of it. No, tell uh, me. Really I mean, listen. horrible things happen out here. Very. We have to. We can't look Go away. Ahead. We. I know, and and it's hard for me to look at the images myself, but I think it's important that we know how savage this really is. It's inhuman. It's it's unpo- It's a living nightmare. It, it really was. Uh, these poor these poor people live on their uh, their their farms in the kibbutzniks. Uh, the people who live on the a kibbutz is a communal farm, and a moshav is kind of the same thing. Only one is communal and one is capitalist. Uh, but they go to these farms with the idea of having a peaceful life. A lot of them are very artsy. And the interesting thing, too, is most of them uh, would be lefties. They would not be in support of Benjamin Netanyahu and his hawkish government. Mm. And they're very sympathetic to the Palestinians. So one day these people come busting through with the AK-47s and GoPros mounted on their heads to document the, these, these horrific acts. And uh, it went all the way to uh, these guys trying to hack a guy's head off with a, with a garden hoe. Um, the, the brutality that, that happened is very real. A father and his two little boys uh, ran into a bomb shelter and a Hamas guy threw a grenade in the bomb shelter with him. Um, and when that father was dead, the, the little boys screamed uh, for their parents. Uh, one of the little boys appeared to have lost an eye. Uh, there was a little girl hiding under her desk. They discovered her and just executed her in just cold blood uh, like you haven't seen before. Uh, you may have heard uh, uh, some of this uh, phone recording of the uh, guy uh, calling back, telling his parents that he's a hero because he just killed 10 people with his bare hands. Uh, that's the kind of savagery. I could go example after example after example. But this is more horrible. And then when you couple, couple it with the Iranian backing, so you have the meltdown here in Gaza, this absolute act of savagery in Gaza. Uh, now you have Hezbollah destabilizing in the north because they're backed by Iran, and destabilization is what Iran does. And then you still have activity in the West Bank. So you ask why this is different than other wars. One, it's more savage. Two, the potential for a regional and, frankly, world meltdown is, is right there. We're on the precipice uh, of something we haven't seen in our lifetime. And think about our lifetime, Janice. Uh, we haven't seen a world war. Yes. And it's really kind of the exception that a generation goes through without a world war. So we, the, everyone should be paying attention to this. And it's ugly and it's horrible and I can't make it better. But you shouldn't look away. And the history behind this, I find that, you know, on social media and people kind of throwing their opinions around, well, you have to study this to really understand where all of this comes from, the different factions. Uh, This has been going on for centuries, but it is different. And I wonder, how did it become so calculated? How did we not, how did we miss this? That is something that is going to take the intelligence community a long time to go over. And uh, what you hear from the Israelis is uh, it needs to be reviewed. They need to know why there was such, a, such an intelligence failure. But right now they have a war to fight. Uh, one of the obvious things, if you've been paying attention to uh, Israeli politics, is that Israel... Inside of Israel, the bitter, bitter divisions right now. Uh, The Netanyahu government had made these uh, moves uh, in which they disempowered the judicial branch of the government and made sure that the executives would always have the ultimate power. The legislative and the executive branch would always have the executive power or, or, or absolute power. Pardon me. Uh, and the prime minister would would really have a trend, and the the the, um, uh, the majority party 
uh, it would be very hard to unseat them or find them uh, for any wrongdoing whatsoever. And there was a great revolt inside of Israeli society. Um, so with that, you have to assume that the, the prime minister was, was occupied with people on the streets demonstrating against him all the time. Mm. Um, and, and huge demonstrations. So uh, it certainly took up a lot, a lot of his energy. And, 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 you know, somehow in this process, everyone knew Hamas was fortifying. Everyone knew Hamas was digging the tunnels. Everyone knew Hamas had support from Iran. But uh, to, to put together such an extensive attack like this, um, and, and keep in mind, we're not through the Hamas planning. Hamas never thought they were going to come out of the Gaza Strip and beat a modern mechanized army with paragliders and AK-47s. They always knew they'd get beat back and then enter into the PR game. And that's the stage we're in now. And when you saw the, uh, the rocket hit behind the Al-Ahli hospital and the world media run with it, and, and the demonstrations form up before anyone had any of the facts. Well, that's coming out of the Hamas playbook. Wow. They always knew that was going to happen. They always wanted that to happen. Mm-hmm. And many media fell for it, which is just so disheartening yeah. without going with facts, which is what we did, you know, uh, which is what you and Trey did. Like, we don't have the facts right now. Um, you know, I'm. Reading well, articles. We've got more of the facts. We've got more of the facts related to that strike now, and it seems pretty clear that that was an Islamic Jihad rocket. Yes, we now these, know these, these rockets go errant all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but right away. To give you an idea, just how these things are made. One time, I was uh, in the rocket lab with the Hamas guys years ago when I used to live out here, and uh, to give you an idea how sloppy their craftsmanship is, the guy who was mixing the fuel for the rockets was smoking the whole time he was making the fuel. And uh, so, the, they're, you know, this isn't, uh, this isn't NASA where they're making these rockets. A lot of them are smuggled in, but they do make some of them in the Gaza Strip, and they, and they go wild. Are you surprised that they still have ammunition right now, Hamas? No. You're not? No, they've been, uh, they've been fortifying for a long time, and they have the support of Iran. And you talk about the history. Um, I, I could go on for a long time about this, and I don't want to drone on with your podcast too much. But Hamas was a division of the Muslim Brotherhood, and Hamas became popular and powerful because they were fiercely independent. They didn't have outside influences. And if you remember a while back, um, they had democratic elections in the Palestinian territories, and Hamas won. And uh, I remember talking with Dr. Mahmoud Zahar and hitting him with the question, will Hamas change the the charter of the organization uh, that calls for the destruction of Israel? He said no. And with that, I don't know, it's because of my question, but with the fact that they won't change the the charter, the world cut off aid to the Palestinian territories because they were the, the ruling body. And they're entirely aid-dependent. There isn't really a gross national product that comes out of the Palestinian territories. So Zahar and the other Hamas guys went around carpetbagging. They went around to other nations and said, support us. We need money. So they came to Iran and Iran said, come to Papa. And Iran started funding them and now Hamas is dependent on Iran. Mm. So they ended up getting better weapons, more money, more tunnels. So what's next? I mean, I'm seeing these articles, the six steps to World War III. I mean, are you thinking along those lines? The threat is real. Uh, When this ground invasion starts, if and when this ground invasion starts, it's going to be horrible. Uh, You know that the ground is is laden with booby traps. There are 1.1 million people who live in Gaza 
Uh, it's an estimated now that 700,000 have moved south and heeded the evacuation warning. The rest are there. You're going to have a big mechanized army come in, and you've got the tunnels, you've got the weapons stores hidden within the civilian population. There will be civilian casualties. And when you get the civilian casualties, we've already seen the template for how the world is going to react with that model from the Al Ahly Hospital. So the potential of a, a regional, a world meltdown, it, it really is there. And now we know that uh, China has battleships in, uh, in the Mediterranean Sea. Um, what they're doing, I, I, I don't really know, but it, it doesn't look good, Janice. Mm-hmm. What about the hostages? Was that a distraction, do you think? Well, absolutely. Oh, the, you mean the releasing, releasing. of the hostages? Yep. It, it, sure, well, it's a stalling tactic. Mm. You can say... We're releasing the hostages, and they say, you know, for humanit- on humanitarian grounds. Uh, also, keep in mind, they want to say we're doing it because we're humanitarian and we're caring. <laughs> well, they first, before you release your hostage, you have to take the hostage in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's like a guy who wants credit because he stopped beating his wife. It's a crazy argument. Look at us. We're the good guys. We let the hostages go. Well, they took the hostages first. But the tactic really is, one, the PR game. They're trying to say we're the good guys, uh, we're treating our hostages well, and that's some of what the, some of the dialogue that's come out of there. Um, also, don't start the ground invasion while we're releasing hostages. Hostage will always be vulnerable, and if you start the ground invasion while well, maybe we'll get a few more out, well, you're, you're, you're risking lives. It creates a very complex uh, series of risks out here. Mm-hmm. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. What happens when a ground invasion occurs? I mean, do you think that we're imminent? It's so mired in politics now. Uh, Clearly, the whispers were early on when uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken was coming here and going around the region. He kept coming back here. And then suddenly President Biden came in. The whisper was that that Secretary Blinken was unable to dissuade Benjamin Netanyahu from executing uh, the ground war. Mm. And so they brought in the president to try to see if the, you know, the, the, the bully pulpit would be able to uh, get Benjamin Netanyahu to back down. And they won't say it on the record, but people on the, in the inside are saying that's exactly what's going on. So it's mired in politics. Netanyahu takes a great deal of risk. Uh, when they go in, he could risk, he, he, you could lose Israeli soldiers, you could cause civilian casualties, and Hamas could kill the hostages. Mm-hmm. So there's a tremendous amount of risk if you go in. You know that the ground is going to be loaded with booby traps. You know you're going to have to send soldiers down into those tunnels where, um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of risk. Uh, anytime there's been tunnel warfare, you've got one guy out in front and people who can lay in wait for him. Uh, urban warfare is tremendously risky. So... You know, there, there will be casualties and there will be civilian casualties uh, if if and when this ground war starts, Janice. How do you protect yourself? Um, you know, not only physically, but you are seeing the horrors of the world right now. You know, I've known you for a very long time. You're a very kind, considerate person. Uh, you know, I a few, you know, many years ago, you um 
went and got me these this beautiful gift from the Vatican when you heard that I was diagnosed with MS. Um, you and I get teary thinking about it. That's the type of person you are. You just think of other people. Um, so how do you how do you deal with this kind of thing? Well, day to day, you just think about what you have to do. We've you know we've got to cover this war. It's happening fast. You you're trying to digest information and get yourself in the right place to to handle it and 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 think about keeping your crew safe. Uh, one of the things I'm looking at a, at a bomb shelter right now because we stopped to do our live shots and we uh, first thing we think about is all right, what's our retreat point? If the rockets come in, where are we going to go? So that's that's one of the first calculations all the time. So you, you minimize the risk. You can't obviously the only way to eliminate the risk is get out of the war zone. But someone has to cover it, so we're here. Um, and then as far as dealing with the humanity, um, it's tough. Yeah. A lot of it, you just stay busy, so you don't dwell on on the horrible things that you've seen. But uh, that's the kind of stuff that comes back to you, you three months later. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you the things that have really done my head in at different points. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you the... Um, when, when you go to... And it gets back to the idea that we don't show you everything and as horrible as it really is. Uh, and when you go to a bus bombing, I, I don't know that anything in the world could be more horrible than a bus bombing. When you go to a bus bombing, the cell phones survive the blast. Israel's a small country. And word gets out that the number seven bus to Tel Aviv got bombed. And a mother sitting in Rishon Letzion says, I think my son was going to be on that bus. Mm. So she'll call his phone. And she doesn't get an answer. She calls it again and then goes crazy and starts panicking and dialing that phone. So when you're sitting at, at a, uh, a bus bombing, there are happy little ringtones coming yes. out of this, this horrible scene of carnage. Mm-hmm. And I remember a Zaka volunteer. The Zaka guys are the guys who uh, put the bodies back together for a proper Jewish burial. Showed me a phone one time that had 98 missed calls. And you think about the, just the panicked loved one on the other end of the phone, desperately trying to get some information about someone who's now gone. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that gets you yeah. over time. I can't, I can't tell you what will be the thing that comes to me at, at three in the morning, but like that's one of them. Yeah. Uh, listen, I remember my husband telling me in, on 9-11 uh, when we had that horrific event happen, what he remembers of that event or part of that was hearing their little beeps on the first responders. Um, I think it's called a pass. Yeah. And he will never forget that sound of the constant beeping uh, from those first responders that had died or perished that were underneath the the soot. So something like that, where you hear those sounds and you know it's attached to somebody who is no longer with us. Um, it, I yeah. get it. I get it, Mike. It's it's awful. Um, do you think you were born to do this? I mean, I know you've, and you're somebody that loves to. <laughs> you are an adventure seeker, right? You love to climb mountains and document that and and test yourself. Um, you know, does that lend itself to what you're doing now? I, I guess I think my nature. I do kind of gravitate to the uh, toward the intensity of things. 
I, I, I like, yeah, the, the big mountains, all the different competitions I've been in. I like the intensity of it. Um, and I like the intensity of, of, of covering wars. And they're horrible, but um, someone has to do it. And, uh, and I, I, I do like it. It's, it's hard to explain mm-hmm. how I, I would like going to something this, this, this horrible and the big storms and everything like that. I like the intensity of it. Uh, if, I'm compl- if I'm complaining about the job, it's when I get stuck on like, covering holiday travel or something lame <laughs> like that. I don't, that's it. No, I get it. That's now, the stuff I don't like. But, well, and with storms yeah. that we've covered, um, there is that sort of the best of humanity that comes out after the storm to help each other. Do you see any of that? Well, you do. You, you see quite a bit of it. I remember the old Mr. Rogers quote. He said, don't look at the disaster, look at the people who are helping. Mm-hmm. And you certainly see, in fact, I just spent some time today with um, uh, the volunteers who were out uh first guys to show up at the uh, at the kibbutz and the and the moshavs and they were doing the triage on people and putting tourniquets on them and stopping the bleeding and arranging helicopters to get them out and uh, I talked with those guys too and said have you had a chance to deal with it and they haven't because the rocket fire is constant so they've still got to stay on the clock and uh, and get ready to deal with it every now and then just about every night a rocket gets through and uh, they're not very accurate weapons they're terror weapons but uh, still people get hurt once in a while, mm-hmm. you know. And how do you stay safe? Well, it, it, just like I was saying before, we try to minimize the risk wherever we go. We, okay. we, you know, we keep an eye. There's a, there are cell phones, uh, cell phone apps that are now tracking the rocket fire, and they'll tell you when a rocket has come into uh, your region. Uh, the sirens go off, and depending where we are, we've, we've got time to retreat. And we're always, like I said, it's the first thing we do when we stop to go live is what's our retreat point? Where are we going to go? And I've got a security guard with me who was, uh, you know, he, he and I talk about it. We'll go here. Uh, sometimes we'll say, all right, our best place is going to be next to the car in the dirt, hands over your head. Or uh, right now I'm looking at there's a bomb shelter right next to me. So if any trouble starts, let's go into the bomb shelter. Mm-hmm. And what do you see? Do you even think about what's going to happen next? Or are you kind of living in the moment? Living in the moment, but uh, we certainly are, are thinking about, and it's one of the uh, discussions that you always have, is what's that ground war going to be like? Mm. How good is Israel's intel? By the way, there's a good article in the New York Times today suggesting, um, well, an alarming article, I should say, in the, in the New York Times, suggesting that uh, Israel doesn't really have that good uh, uh, of intel and doesn't have clearly uh, uh, marked objectives. So it's, a, it's something to look at. And that could be part of the delay if, if other uh, military leaders are looking at Israel's army and saying, you guys need to tidy up your plan before you start putting people at risk. Mm-hmm. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. And then what do the bosses here say? Do they, do they say, Mike, we got your back here? Um, you know, who decides when you've done enough? Well, no one really does, and uh, there's not a whole lot of dialogue. I think it, it, in a situation like this, it, it's it's more of an environment where we're drumming up the information on the ground, and we're telling them what we have. Okay. Um, they have uh, a schedule. You know, say you know, Trey is live from uh, Trey's live starting with Fox and Friends, and he goes for a while, and then I I pick up and we overlap a little bit, and then I go through uh, uh, Brett's show special report. And then take a break, and then uh, Lucas and um, and Greg Palcott 
uh, pick up from there, and you got Harrigan and Beirut. So we've got schedules when everyone's going, but uh, we're telling them what the what the content is. And uh, I've always thought with the bosses, if I don't hear from them, that's good. <laughs> so I don't I don't reach out that much. Do you check in with Trey? I worry. You know, I worry about him. I don't know. Maybe that's the mom in me. It's not that I don't worry about you, um, but you know, I've known you for so long. It's like ah. Tobin, he's okay. Um, I worry. I, I, you, you, I know you. I know you. I know you worry because I've been out covering tornadoes and you've scolded me on the air for taking too much risk. <laughs> I mean I just, that with love. I know it's because you care, Janice. Yes, I do. I do. But do you worry? I mean, I know it's your gig. It's what you do. Um, but yeah. I think that you know the viewers do too. They worry. Well, I appreciate that. Um, and uh, as far as Trey goes, I think Trey is remarkably savvy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm the old guy. And, uh, and, and I try not to get old guy mindset. And that uh, the, only, the only old guy thing I think I say is that I'm amazed at these kids who go live uh, using their phone for their notes. Mm. I'm old school. I put it on a notepad. <laughs> and uh, in no small part because my mother, before she passed away, if she saw me on TV, she would call. And so if I'd have all my notes, all of a sudden it would just say mom on the screen. And uh, so I don't trust it. But the young guys, they all have their uh, phones out and they don't carry notepads anymore. Wow. So I write everything down on a notepad before I go up or just try to remember it. Trey, Trey is, is, he's a sharp guy and he's dialed in. Hmm. He's, he has used his time out. He's been, all, he's been in Jerusalem almost as long as I was. Hmm. And uh, he has really uh, got his contacts working out here. Trey's a good reporter. What does your family say? I mean, I don't, I've, you know. They're, well, my mom and dad are gone. Yes. They, uh, my, uh, they both made it to uh, 92 and 93. And God they bless. smoked and drank since before World War II. <laughs> so that proves that your doctor doesn't know anything. And uh, my brothers and sisters, uh, they're kind of used to it. Okay. Um, I think this one, though, I've tried to let them know that this is, this is different. This mm. is serious and... Uh, you know, and the, the message I send back is that this this could be the big slide into a, a conflict that you know, we live such a cushy existence mm-hmm. that we worry about safe spaces and feelings and yada yada all the all the, the the things that people get all worked up about back in the states. And I've often said, people, you think you have a hard life? Go to Gaza, see see what that's like because uh, you know the, the, that's tough living. Yes. Anyone who's been born in the Gaza Strip has has really limited opportunities. And um, and uh, I don't know what the point I was getting at there, but uh, you know, it's it's this one is different than other wars. Yeah, and you and you let them know that this. I mean, that's what you have to do. And I think Fox does just a really good job of that. You know, we're, we've been right on top of this. We've gone twenty four seven. If you're if you're not tuned in, you know, you should be. You have to be. This is kind of a responsibility that we have to. This is not something that we um, I think this is something we have to discuss with our kids, with our family, because it's it's getting closer to us. And, you know, I, I skimmed over completely there. And we mentioned family. Um, my wife. Yes. She she is getting used to it. Mm. When we were dating, I was still covering the big conflicts, and uh, I got married. Uh, we just, my, our anniversary was October the 8th, the day after all of this broke up, uh, broke out. And, uh, and she's, she's worried. 
and there's I try to talk to her. Thank God there are uh, apps like WhatsApp, so I can uh, video call her every day and um, try to let her know that it's okay. But uh, she's okay, and I don't think she likes spending so much time alone. Mm. I understand that. Listen, you know, as a wife of a first responder, this is what this is what we signed up for too. And she's. I mean, she knows your career and your life, and you have been in war zones and tornadoes and hurricanes, and this is what you do. This is, you know, you were meant to do this and and tell a story to the viewers that don't understand what's happening. You have a very big responsibility, Um, and I'm happy to talk to her if you want me to. (laughs) (laughs) You know, people are so great. All the friends at at home uh, reach out to her. And, uh, but I think that makes her more nervous because mm. she suddenly gets all this attention. So um, I, I have my sister is is she's just got a good heart. And uh, I just kind of have one sister. I tell her to call Julie and make sure that it's uh, that she's OK. There's too many people call her and it just becomes a big deal. Right. Yeah, I get that. It's almost like yeah. you just want to let things play out, and not be reminded of the situation that you're in right now. Um, I know you're a busy guy. and People are wonderful and they reach out to her. I'm so grateful for you and your friendship. And, you know, I don't see you very often, but I do. You as well, Dino. I feel very connected to you. um, And I love you very much. (laughs) um, And I want you to be safe. And, um, you know, keep doing a great job. Be safe as you're doing it. And you really are doing something very important. The world is watching. And this this one, as you said, is different. And so thank you for, you know, your yeah. humanity as well, delivering this information. I know it's not easy. Well, well thank you. I th- as far as humanity goes, I try, to, I try to frankly strip out the emotion and, uh, and just get to what is real and what's on the ground. And um, it's hard to do sometimes. And sometimes but sometimes it's also so very obvious. When you have something as, as, as tragic as, as what happened here on October 7th and, and what's going to happen, um, you don't need me to play it up and add a bunch of emotion to it. So uh, I just mm. try to I try to get it to the viewers and I try to serve the viewers the way I'd like a reporter to serve me. Yes. Let me know something I didn't know before you started your broadcast. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for taking the time. I hope we can talk again, but I know things are getting busy and um, I know our viewers and our listeners are so grateful to you and the whole team Uh, you know and the people behind the scenes too right like our camera operators and our audio folks and our producers my goodness we can't thank them enough no they and my my team is awesome these guys are great and uh, you know if I'm if I'm up taking risks there's a cameraman who's taking a risk with me Mm -hmm. so uh, you know and they uh, as I like to say you remember what Ginger said about Fred Astaire that she does everything that Fred Astaire does, walking backwards and in heels. Yeah. Well, every time I do something, there's a cameraman there with one eye closed and doing it walking backwards. So. Yeah. You know, we talked about the the rosary that you got me many years ago. Um, are, I think you're a prayerful man too, right? A, a bit. I think if I were to tell you that I live a pious life, the uh, bartenders would disagree. <laughs> um, I, I I do my best. I try to go to church. Uh, uh, my wife and I, we did our, our pre-canna before uh, before getting married, and uh, sometimes I just get busy on Sunday, and I don't make it in, And uh, but I try to be a good guy. Yeah. Do you find yourself praying I, I'm very interested in the theology. I love, I love the, uh, the, 
the Jewish history out yes. here, the, the Christian history in here. I, I, I love to study that stuff, but if I, you know, so I told you if I lived by the book, I'd be lying to you. Well, my question is, do you find that you're prayerful these days? You know, honestly, I'm, I'm not very spiritual, uh, certainly not in these environments. I'm just getting to the next thing. Mm-hmm. You're getting to the next thing. Well, I appreciate their time. I really, I, you know, I'm I'm praying for you, um, and um, thank you. And they keep doing a great job. Tell the crew to be safe, uh, and we'll be in touch. And I, I will. I love you very much. Well, good. I'm glad to be on your uh, podcast. Thanks, Dino. Well, it won't be the last time. Okay. Good, good, good. Call back. Okay. We'll see and how then, we can uh, we do this again in the future. I would like that. And if you're in New York, and uh, we're heading to the bar. You bet. And uh, and I, you, you got to meet my wife. In fact, I wouldn't mind if you called and checked in on her. I would love to. So you please give me her phone number and I will <laughs> text her. Okay. I mean that. I mean that. I'm there for her. All right. Thanks again to Mike Tobin for making time to let us know how he is doing professionally and personally in a war zone giving us context on how he reports from such a dangerous place during a huge story that is unfolding right in front of our eyes. The war that began on October 7th has become the deadliest of five Gaza wars for both sides, with thousands of people dead. It has been reported that more than a million people have fled their homes in Gaza ahead of an expected Israeli invasion that could happen at any time as of this recording. And I know here at Fox News, Mike and his team, and all of the reporters and journalists on the ground, they will bring you the latest information as it happens. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.